Hello and welcome to this latest Confectionery News podcast. I'm Anthony Myers, editor of CN. In this episode, I speak to Jane Shepherd, Fair Trade Supply Chain Manager. We met at the organisation's office in London for a wide-ranging discussion on Fair Trade's various initiatives in the cocoa sector to improve the lives and well-being of farmers in West Africa. Take a listen. Why did you choose to join the Fair Trade Foundation? Um, so I've worked, I guess, in value chains for probably 15 years now prior to Fair Trade, about 10, 10 years. I've worked in sort of the cut flower horticultural sector, and over those 10 years, I worked in various private sector supplier um, roles and saw the realities of the value chain. Um, I was lucky enough to go on quite a few trips to farms and saw quite a few things that I felt very uncomfortable with. Um, I also started to question about who gets what in terms of the price and the value chain and how do workers or producers really live for those that are producing our products that we take for granted every day. Um, And I felt like I wanted to do something about that. I felt like I wanted to work for an organisation that sort of champions and represents those that are most marginalised and working for Fair Trade Foundation was the opportunity to do that. Uh, what is your main role in the Fair Trade Foundation? I'm super lucky, Tony. I work really. My main role is a, a, a part of a very big team um, within the foundation. I support colleagues in the commercial department, so those who are working, looking after the major UK retailers and brands. I also support the public engagement directorates for um, annual campaigns, press releases. And really importantly, and what I really love about my job, is I connect the product of the producers into the market up here in the Northern Hemisphere. So I work very closely with the producer networks, um, in particular Fairtrade Africa and the West African team, around what the need is for cocoa producers, specifically in West Africa at the moment, and a little bit coming out of Central Latin America and Caribbean region, and trying to connect their volume available to buyers in the Northern Hemisphere. What were you doing before you joined the organisation? I've had uh, a dotted career really. I started um, back in the day 15 years ago after reading a degree in criminal justice, looking at miscarriages of justice. I'd probably like to say that's where the start of my journey um, in this particular lens um, originated from. I had a change in direction after having worked in the criminal justice setting for a couple of years um, to go into the supply private sector field, which I touched on earlier, uh, working for a major export-import company based in Holland who were selling uh, into 14 countries and I looked after the southeast of the UK and London for them. I then moved on to a major supplier of fresh products um, to the four major UK retailers, Tesco's, Co-op, Aldi and Lidl, um, sourcing from South and East Africa, Central America, Europe on a daily basis. Um, so I guess like over those period of years I gained enough value chain experience to finally get a role in the supply chain team at the Fairtrade Foundation. What are the main challenges for Fairtrade's cocoa farmers in West Africa, uh, Latin America and the Caribbean and Asia Pacific? Would you say? I think you can broadly split them across three three lenses, social, economic and environmental. I think socially um, there's real disincentivation for the youth in cocoa industry at the moment. Um, there's a lot of young people who are working on inherited cocoa land who don't want to stay in farming because of the low income. 
Um, economically, like we've touched on before, and like you know at Federated Foundation, cocoa farmers are poor. Um, there are low wages and poor access to markets and poor representation, volatile market and also difficult trading activities. Um, environmentally, um, cocoa farmers are really bearing the brunt of climate change. Um, there's also some key risks around deforestation and water usage at the moment. Um, can you give listeners an update on Fairtrade's West Africa Cocoa Programme, which I know you are mm-hmm. involved in? Yeah, of course I can. Um, so this is a great initiative. This was rolled out in 2016. And really the crux of the West African Cocoa Programme is to support smallholders to stay Fairtrade certified and be strong and viable organisations. I'd say there's sort of three tiers. Um, this is a certification support um, thematic and expertise and it's a tight ship that's run by Edward Akapiran and Marie Yao in Ghana and uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Um, examples of the training include um, good agricultural practice, core certification support when uh, producers are facing an order to an up and coming audit, any particular challenges they're facing and how to overcome those, community development, empowerment of women, learning about workers' rights and increased well-being of children and youth. And also important areas around management and governance, organisational monitoring, learning and reporting, how to formulate a fair trade development plan and how to manage premium, also the governance and decision making of that. Um, importantly, and a really important update is this year and last year, Federal International have led some pioneering work in the monitoring and evaluation and learning piece for the West African Cocoa Programme. So this is the first time we've collected baseline data across SPOs in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana, and this will be crucial to better understanding the impact that the West African Cocoa Programme is producing and set a baseline for future monitoring in 2019, 2020 and beyond. Um, in, in broad terms, because you may have just answered this question, um, but uh, Derek Chambers, senior cocoa trader, told Confection News last month, you know, he basically said in West Africa, cocoa farms are not poor because they grow cocoa, they grow cocoa because they are poor. And I'd just like to get your, your take on that, your impression on, on that statement, and, and what, what, is it, what is it you're doing to improve the lives of cocoa farmers in West Africa? Mm, I think... Um the question really talks around what the need is and what really what is it like to live as a cocoa farmer. Um, I think it's really important for people here in the UK to understand there are very few other employment opportunities for farmers in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. Um, many farmers inherit um, the production and the land um, down the family line and sometimes it's simply not possible for cocoa farmers to stop growing cocoa or to find other opportunities. Um, Also because of the fact that many of them are poor, it's very difficult to access capital to invest um, or to move into something somewhere else. Um, Secondly, in terms of actually cocoa production, it takes cocoa trees about three to five years to reach maturity and a span of about 30 years or more. So you can imagine there's a huge amount of investment from a family and producer level input that you can't then just suddenly stop doing what you've done for years or what your parents have done as well. Um, And also you don't have other savings or capital to invest in something else or to move to another job. You don't have that safety net. Um, and thirdly, obviously, like we know, low income for other sources other than cocoa is very, is very difficult. Um, and what, in terms of your second question of what we're doing about that, um, as part of our living income strategy, we've obviously inc- looking to increase our minimum price and premium for Federal Cocoa, which will go up to two thousand four hundred dollars a ton 
and for the premium it will be $240 a tonne in October. We're also talking about the importance of diversification, um, looking at how we can um, advise producers to invest their premium in quite wise diversification uses and also as a result that like we've touched on um, through the West African Cocoa Programme, our guys on the ground are really training producers around that, how to improve their yields, good productivity techniques and good diversification areas to focus on. I think we're also um, helping through the Women's School of Leadership, which I think we're coming on to in a while. And of course, we've just strengthened our, both our cocoa and smallholding standards, which in turn really um, help cocoa farmers to become more business-like, more strong organisations um, that are sort of more, um, I guess, attractive to Northern Hemisphere market buyers. Good. Okay. Yes, you mentioned the uh, the, the the main standard for small scale farmers, and that, that's that's good. That's just been um, um, launched just recently. And but I'd like to just ask you, what's been the response in the industry to Fair Trade's other campaign of calling for living incomes for cocoa farmers in West Africa? I think um, it's been fairly positive so far. But to be fair, obviously the campaign only launched at the end of February, so it's quite early on to to say for sure. I know that you attended our um, launch event at Parliament. Yes. Um, we had over eighty three MPs attend and 50 partners overall throughout the fortnight week got involved, such as Co-op, Waitrose, Greggs, Beard, Ben & Jerry's. I think it's important to say it's the beginning of a long-term campaign and we will obviously continue to monitor how the progress is made and make sure that we meet our campaign objectives. Um, if you need a reminder, we're really asking for chocolate companies, traders, supermarkets, major brands to commit to sourcing their cocoa on federal terms as a first step to think about joining the Living Income Task Force, which is a multi-stakeholder initiative focused on ensuring cocoa farmers receive a living income, and also then in turn obviously to commit to being part of the goal of ensuring cocoa farmers eventually do receive a living income, potentially by 2030. Okay, um, uh, Fair Trade can only do so much um, um, to help cocoa farmers, but there, there is a case that you know, all, all cocoa farmers need help. What, what, what's the way forward on, on that, on helping you know, those that are not in specific programmes, run by private companies, um, you know, private chocolate companies, or, or yourself? Yes, yeah, so I think um, fair, fair traders, we are important to know we're an open system. Um, we um, champion um, all cocoa farmers for, to achieve a sustainable livelihood and to become resilient to the, to the cli uh, climate, market climate factors that we're facing at the moment. Um, even though for those we don't work with, our goal is to improve the lives of all of those that are working in cocoa farms all over the world. Um, we want to advocate for change and recently we've published two papers, Craving a Change in Chocolate, that we launched during Fairtrade Fortnight and previous to that around competition law and sustainability. They're both really good reads and I think um, those both encapsulate what we do. We're an open system, even those we don't work with, we're advocating for change to improve all the lives of cocoa farmers and I would encourage you to read those. Okay, good. Uh, moving on now, um, Fair Trade Fortnight, which just ended um, last month, uh, focused on the role of women in the supply chain, um, and uh, a lot's been made of the Women's School of Leadership programme. Um, my first question, is this a, just a, an initiative for West Africa, is it or is it available to women in other regions, and how does it benefit women working in the local industry? Sure, I think um, first of all I've been very lucky to see this initiative for myself and it really is a case of best practice. I was fortunate enough to take out um, an all-female leadership team from the co-op in November last year who are sponsors of the Women's School of Leadership alongside Compass in the UK. Um, 
it's important to note that the Women's School of Leadership is part of the Fair Trade's Gender Strategy 2016 to 2020, and its primary aim is to achieve equality of opportunity and access to benefits for all, both men and women, and to establish a roadmap to achieving gender equality in the value chains of, of fair trade products. I can give you a top-line um, recap of the results, and again, please look out for our blogs and other articles that we're going to be talking about how successful the first year has been, and we're now just about to move into our second year. So in our first year, it's very small-scale, focused in Côte d'Ivoire. Um, we trained 22 people. However, the cascade effect of that was a reach of a total of 923 women. 242 men, in total 1,165 people who were touched by a Women's School of Leadership, educated across 21 communities um, and three, three communities per cooperative. Um, so we have ambitious targets over the next few years and we want to build on the seven women's associations that was a direct output of the learnings from the 21 producers and we have also seven income generating projects. It's also really important to note that last year we had and the highest representation at the World Cocoa Foundation in Brazil in October by not only Fairtrade Africa and Marie Yao, who heads up the Cocoa team in Ivory Coast, but also we actually had some graduates from the Women's School of Leadership themselves talking about the benefits. The ambition over 2018 and into this year has been to develop up to 60 participants with then very big cascade onwards and then an over 200 into year three. Um, I think eventually, potentially, the aspiration would be to incorporate the Women's School of Leadership into the West African Cocoa Programme, which would then mean potentially 120,000 fair trade certified producers would be sensitised to the school wellness initiative. Great. And that, that leads me on to my next, next question. Um, through your role at the, at the Fair Trade Foundation, you've obviously visited cocoa plantations in West Africa. And uh, what, what personal effects has it had on your outlook on life, aside from? any professional conclusions or um, impressions you've ha you, you may have reached? Um, I think I've been exceedingly lucky to have seen it for myself. Um, I've seen small holding only and not plantations. Um, it has had a huge effect on me personally across all the categories that I've worked on. I've been very fortunate to meet and work with the producers. Um, fair trade is around working with government, parliament, business, civil society and other stakeholders to advocate for policies that will make trade fair. And when I've been on this trip into Ivory Coast, the message is exactly clear and it's exactly that. These producers are telling me to keep doing what I'm doing, to champion their rights, to sell more on, on fair trade terms. And especially, I guess, being a female myself, having spent a lot of time when I was in uh, Ivory Coast last year with the Women's School of Leadership, it's a fantastic initiative um, where I feel that female producers in the past have been underrepresented, but Fairtrade are working exceedingly hard and with success to pull females up in terms of their positions of responsibility, empowering them to do more, and in turn for us at Fairtrade Foundation to understand how we can incentivise market buyers to do more in terms of producing um, a bit more of a fairer system across both male and female cocoa producers. So I think it's a, I've been very lucky to see it for myself. It totally hits home um, and I, yeah, the message for every time I've been, whether it's on sugar, gold, cut flowers or cocoa has been, Jen, keep doing what you're doing. Fairtrade is doing a massive and very important job to lobby for our rights um, and to advocate for policies that to make trade fair. And finally, uh, Jen, if we, if we sat down to talk again in a year's time, uh, what changes in the cocoa industry would you like to have seen in the intervening months? I think, we've, like we've touched on, we've seen a really positive um, move from Fair Trade Fortnight, but what I would really like to see this time next year is for more major brands 
more major UK retailers either converting more of their available volume to Fairtrade certified terms and as a minimum to keeping it and talking more about what impact they're having. I think um, that would be a significant first step. The second, of course, is around championing living income. Um, I would like to see all stakeholders in the value chain being a bit more open to talking about the issues around price. Um, and I would also like to see stakeholders more willing to work towards together towards a living income. We can't do it alone at Fair Trade. We can't produce the impact we want. We have to work with the critical value chain stakeholders. So I really would like to see this time next year to have had some very informed, open and transparent conversations about how we could do that. Jane Shepherd, thank you very much for your time.